Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Rosetta Stone is the most trusted language learning program. I live in Southern California, Los Angeles. This is Baja Norte. If you do not speak Spanish in Los Angeles, well, you're missing out on a whole lot. Don't put off learning that language. There's no better time than right now to get started. And for a very limited time, LeVar Burton Rees listeners can get Rosetta Stone's lifetime membership for 50% off, visit rosettastone.com slash LeVar. That's rosettastone.com slash L-E-V-A-R. Hi, I'm LeVar Burton, and this is LeVar Burton Reads. In every episode, I handpick a different piece of short fiction, and I read it to you. The only thing these stories have in common is that I love them, and I hope you will too. Today, I'm excited to share a story by Samuel R. Delaney. When we decided to do a show in the Philadelphia area, this man immediately sprang to mind. I've done a bunch of interviews with authors of stories who've been on this show, both in studio and live. And his name has come up again and again, whether I'm talking to Nalo Hopkinson, Charlie Jane Anders, or Nisi Shaw. Mr. Delaney, as I like to call him, has literally been named a grandmaster by his peers in the science fiction and fantasy writers of America. His work is gorgeously written, and I think it's because he allows himself to be enraptured by the written word. He's referred to himself as a sentence lover and says that he is astonished at the sharp turns and tiny tremors they can whip your thoughts across. And we will definitely go on a journey through his sentences with this story. He is the author of many acclaimed books, including Babel 17, The Einstein Intersection, and Dahlgren. And, by the way, he was the first African-American writer to achieve note through commercial American science fiction. Mr. Delaney has kindly provided us with a slightly edited version of his story for us to read, but you can find the uncut version through his website, Samuel Delaney, that's D-E-L-A-N-Y dot com. It's contained in his collection, I and Gomorrah and Other Stories from Vintage Books. And on this episode, I had musical accompaniment from the Pennsylvania-based pianist Kendra E. Butler. Kendra was the Kimmel Center's jazz and residency artist from 2015 to 2016. She studied jazz and classical piano extensively before she had even graduated high school and has since performed all over the world. And in a twist that feels quite appropriate for this program, by night and on weekends, she plays jazz and by day. Kendra is a fourth grade teacher. Now... I hope you're ready for a gorgeous story, and don't forget to stay tuned afterwards for my conversation with Mr. Delaney. Do enjoy. Let's take a deep breath. 
Drift Glass by Samuel R. Delaney. Sometimes I go down to the port, splashing sand with my stiff foot at the end of my stiff leg, locked in my stiff hip, with the useless arm a-swinging to get wet all over again. Drink in the dives with cronies ashore, feeling old, broken, sorry for myself, laughing louder and louder. The third of my face that was burned away in the accident was patched with skin grafts from my chest, so what's left of my mouth distorts all sounds, sloppy sartorial reconstruction. I also have a hairy chest. Chest hair does not look like beard hair, and it grows all up under my right eye. And my beard is red, my chest hair brown, while the thatch curling down over neck and ears is sun-streaked to white here, darkened to bronze there, midst general blondness. By reason of my being a walking, I suppose my gait could be called headlong limping, horror show, plus a general inclination to sulk, I spend most of the time up in the wood and glass and aluminum house on the surf-slewed point that the aquatic core seeded me, along with my pension. Rugs from Turkey there, copper pots, my tenor recorder, which I can no longer play, and my books. But sometimes when the gold fog blurs the morning, I go down to the beach and tromp barefoot in the wet edging to the sea, searching for drift glass. It was foggy that morning, and the sun across the water moiled the mists like a brass ladle. I lurched to the top of the rocks, looked down through the tall grasses into the frothing inlet where she lay, and blinked. She sat up, long gills closing down her neck and the secondary slits along her back just visible at their tips because of much hair, wet and curling copper falling there. She saw me. What are you doing here, huh? She narrowed blue eyes. Looking for drift glass? What? There's a piece. I pointed near her and came down the rocks like a crab with one stiff leg. Where? She turned over, half in, half out of the water, the webs of her fingers cupping nodules of black stone. While the water made cold overtures between my toes, I picked up the milky fragment by her elbow, where she wasn't looking. She jumped because she obviously had thought it was somewhere else. See? What, what, it, what is it? She raised her cool hand to mine. For a moment, the light through the milky gem and the pale film of my own webs purled the screen of her palms. Details like that? Yes, they are important things, the points from which we suspend later pain. A moment later, wet fingers closed to the backs of mine. Drift glass, I said. 
You know, all the Coca-Cola bottles and cut crystal punch bowls and industrial silicon slag that goes into the sea. I know the Coca-Cola bottles. They break, and the tide pulls the pieces back and forth over the sandy bottom, wearing the edges, changing their shape. Sometimes chemicals in the glass react with chemicals in the ocean to change the color. Sometimes veins work their way through in patterns like snowflakes, regular and geometric. Others irregular and angled like coral. When the pieces are dry, they're milky. Put them in water and they become transparent again. Oh! She breathed as the beauty of the blunted triangular fragment in my palm assailed her like perfume. Then she looked at my face. I was wearing some very frayed jeans and a red cotton shirt with no buttons. She reached for my neck, pushed back my collar from my shoulders, and touched the tender slits of my gills, outlining them with cool fingers. Who are you? Finally. Cal, Cal Svensson. She slid back down in the water. You're the one who had the terrible... But that was years ago. They still talk about it down... She stopped. I guess it was my scars... As the sea softens the surface of a piece of glass, so it blurs the souls and sensibilities of the people who toil beneath her. And according to the last report of the Marine Reclamation Division, there are to date 750,000 who have been given gills and webs and sent under the foam where there are no storms up and down the American coast. You live on shore? I mean, around here? But so long ago, how old are you? Sixteen. I was two years older than you when the accident happened. I'm 31 now, which means it happened over a dozen years ago. It is a long time. They still talk about it. I've almost forgotten, I said. I really have. Say, do you play the recorder? I used to. Good. Come up to my place and look at my tenor recorder and I'll make some tea. Uh, Perhaps you can stay for lunch. I have to report back to Marine headquarters by three. Torque is going over the briefing to lay the cable for the big dive with Johnny and the crew. She paused, smiled. But... I can catch the undertow and be there in half an hour if I leave by 2.30. On the walk up, I learned her name was Ariel. She thought the patio was charming and the mosaic evoked, oh, look, and did you do this yourself a half a dozen times? I had done it in the first lonely years. She picked out the squid and the whale in battle, the wounded shark, and the diver, she told me she didn't get time to read much, but she was impressed by all the books. She talked to me a lot about her work, husbanding the deep-down creatures they were scaring up. I'm a comparatively lonely guy. 
I like being followed by beautiful young girls. Hey, João! I bawled across the jetty. He nodded to me from the center of his nets, sun glistening on polished shoulders, sun lost in rough hair. I walked across to where he sat, sewing like a spider. He pulled another section up over his horny toes, then grinned at me with his mosaic smile. Gold, white, black gap below, crooked yellow, white, gold, white. Shoving my bag leg in front, I squatted. I fished out over the coral where you told me. There's a sort of Brazilian you find along the shore in the fishing villages, old yet ageless. See one of their men and you think, he could be 50, he could be 60, will probably look the same when he's 85. Such was Zhao. We once figured it out. He's seven hours older than I am. This morning, Zhao said. The shuttle danced in the web at the end of the orange line. I got a letter for you to read me. It's about the children. Come on, we go up and drink. The shuttle paused, backtracked twice, and he yanked the knot tight. Do you think the letter says that the children are accepted? If it's from the Aquatic Corps, they just send postcards when they reject someone. The question is, how do you feel about it? You are a good man. If they grow up like you, then it will be fine. But you're still worried. I've been prodding Joao to get the kids into the International Aquatic Corps nion since I became their godfather. Two motherless children had not been easy on Joao or his sisters. The Corps would mean one kind of good life for them, and they wouldn't look twice their age when they were 30. Worry is a part of life, but the work is dangerous. Did you know there is an amphiman going to try and lay cable down in the slash? I frowned. Again? Yes. And that is what you tried to do when the sea broke you into pieces and burned the parts, yeah? Must you be so damn picturesque? I asked. Who's going to beard the lion this time? A young amphiman named Torque. They speak of him down at the docks as a brave man. Why the hell are they still trying to lay the cable there? They've gotten by this long without a line through the slash. Because of the fish, Joao said. You told me why 15 years ago. 16, I said. Actually, we had a birthday three months back, you and me. Joao went on as if it made no difference. The fish are still there, and we fishermen who cannot live below are still here. If the children go for the operations, then there will be less fishermen, but today, he shrugged, they must either lay the line across the fish paths or down in the slash. Joao shook his head. Funny things, the great 
power cables the aquatic core has been strewing across the ocean floor to bring power to their undersea mines and farms. Over certain sections of the ocean floor or in sections of the water with certain mineral contents, this sets up inductance in the water itself, which sometimes, and you will probably get a Nobel Prize if you can detail exactly why it isn't always, drives the fish away over areas up to 25 and 30 miles, unless the lines are laid in the bottom of those canyons that delve into the ocean floor. This Torque thinks of the fisherman. He is a good man, too. I raised my eyebrows, the one that's left, anyway, and tried to remember what my little Undine had said about him that morning, and remembered not much. I wish him luck, I said. But what do you feel about this young man going down into the coral rim jaws to the slash? I thought for a moment. I think I hate him, Joao looked up. He is an image in a mirror where I look and am forced to regard what I once was, I went on. I envy him the chance to succeed where I failed, and I can come on just as quaint as you can. I hope he makes it. Behind us, I heard the slapping of sandals on concrete. I turned just in time to catch my goddaughter in my good arm. My godson grabbed hold of the bad one and was swinging on it. Tio Cal! Hey, Tio Cal, what did you bring us? Clara, you will pull him over, Joao reprimanded. Let go, Fernando! And bless them, they ignored their father. What did you bring us? Yeah, what did you bring us, Tio Cal? If you let me, I'll show you. So they stepped back, dark-eyed and quivering. I watched Joao watching, brown pupils on ivory balls, and in the left eye, a vein had broken in a jagged smear. He was loving his children, who would soon be as alien to him as the fish he netted. He was also looking at the terrible thing that was me and wondering what would come to his own spawn. It's impossible for me to see what the population explosion and the budding colonies on Luna and Mars and the flowering beneath the ocean looked like from the disrupted cultural melange of a Brazilian coastal town, but I come closer than many others, and I know what I don't understand. I pushed around in my pocket and fetched out the milky fragment I had brought from the beach. Here. Do you like this one? And they bent above my webbed and alien fingers. In the supermarket, which is the biggest building in the village, Joao bought a lot of cake mixes. That moist, delicate texture, whispered the box when you lifted it from the shelf, with that deep flavor, deeper than chocolate. I'd just read an article about the new vocal packaging in a U.S. magazine that had gotten down last week, so I was prepared and stayed in the fresh vegetable section to avoid temptation. Then we went up to Joao's house. The letter proved to be what I'd expected. The kids had to take the bus to Brasilia tomorrow. My godchildren were 
on their way to becoming fish. We sat on the front steps and drank and watched the donkeys and the motorbikes, the women in bright skirts with wreaths of garlic and sacks of onions, as well a few people glittered by in the green scales of amphimine uniforms. Finally, Joao got tired and went in to take a nap. Most of my life has been spent on the coast of countries accustomed to siestas, but those first formative ten were passed on a Danish collective farm, and the idea never really took. So I stepped over my goddaughter, who had fallen asleep on her fists on the bottom step, and walked back through the town toward the beach. At midnight, Ariel came out of the sea, climbed the rocks, and clicked her nails against my glass wall so that droplets ran, pearled by the gibbous moon. Earlier, I had stretched in front of the fireplace on the sheepskin throw to read, then dozed off. The conscientious timer had turned off the Dvorak cello concerto, which was on its second time around, extinguished the reading lamp, and stopped dropping logs onto the flame, so that now, as I woke, the grate was carpeted with coals. She clicked again, and I raised my head from the cushion. The green uniform, her amber hair, all color was lost under the silver light outside. I lurched across the rug, touched the button, and the glass slid into the floor. The breeze came to my face as the barrier fell. What do you want? I asked. What time is it anyway? Torque is on the beach, waiting for you. The night was warm but windy. Below the rocks, silver flakes chased each other into shore. The tide lay full. I rubbed my face. The new boss man. Hmm? Why didn't you bring him up to the house? What does he want to see me about? She touched my arm. Come. They're all down by the beach. Who all? Torque and the others. She led me across the patio and to the path that wound to the sand. The sea roared in the moonlight. Down the beach, people stood around a driftwood fire that whipped the night. Ariel walked beside me. Two of the fishermen from town were crowding each other on the bottom of an overturned wash tub, playing guitars. The singing, raucous and rhythmic, jarred across the paled sand. Shark's teeth shook on the necklace of an old woman dancing. Others were sitting on an overturned dinghy, eating. Over one part of the fire on a skillet two feet across, oil frothed through pink islands of shrimp. One woman ladled them in, another ladled them out. Tio Cal, look, Tio Cal is here. Hey, what are you two doing up? I asked. Shouldn't you be home in bed? Papa Joao said we could come. He'll be here too soon. I turned to Ariel. Why are they all gathering? Because of the laying of the cable tomorrow at dawn. Someone was running up the beach, waving a bottle in each hand. They didn't want to tell you about the party. They thought that it might hurt your pride. My what? If you knew they were making so big a thing of the job you had failed at, 
but and that had hurt you so in failure they did not want you to be sad but torque wants to see you i said you would not be sad so i went to bring you down from the rocks thanks i guess tio cow but the voice was bigger and deeper than a child's he sat on a log back from the fire eating a sweet potato the flame flickered on his dark cheekbones in his hair wet and black he stood came to me held up his hand i held up mine and we slapped palms good he was smiling ariel told me you would come i will lay the power line down through the slash tomorrow his uniform scales glittered down his arms he was very strong but standing still he still moved the light on the cloth told me that i he paused i thought of a nervous happy dancer i wanted to talk to you about the cable i thought of an eagle i thought of a shark and about the accident if you would sure i said if there's anything i could tell you that would help see torque ariel said i told you he would talk to you about it i could hear his breath his breathing change it really doesn't bother you to talk about the accident i shook my head and realized something about that voice it was a boy's voice that could imitate a man's torque was not over 19 We're going fishing soon, Torque told me. Will you come? If I'm not in the way. A bottle went from the woman at the shrimp crate to one of the guitarists, down to Ariel, to me, then to Torque. The liquor made in a cave 7 miles inland was almost rum. The too tight skin across the left side of my mouth makes the manful swig a little difficult to bring off. I got rum down my chin. He drank, wiped his mouth, passed the bottle on and put his hand on my shoulder. Come down to the water. We walked away from the fire. Some of the fishermen stared after us, a few of the amphimen glanced and glanced away. Do all the young people of the village call you Tiokao? No, uh, only my godchildren. Their father and I have been friends since I was, well, younger than you. Oh, I thought perhaps it was a nickname. That's why I called you that. We reached wet sand where orange light cavorted at our feet. The broken shell of a lifeboat rocked in moonlight. Torque sat down on the shell's rim. I sat beside him. The water splashed to our knees. There's no other place to lay the power cable, I asked. There is no other way to take it except through the slash. I was going to ask you what you thought of the whole business, but I guess I don't really have to. Torque shrugged and clapped his hands together a few times. All the projects this side of the bay have grown huge and cry for power. The new operations tax, the old lines unmercifully. There was a power failure last July in Cayenne down the shelf below the twilight level. The whole underwater village was without light for 2 days. 3 amphimen died. 
of overexposure to the cold currents coming up from the depths. If we laid cables farther up, we chance disrupting our own fishing operations as well as those of the fishermen on shore. I nodded. Cal, what happened to you in the slash? Eager, scared, torque. I was remembering now, not the accident, but the midnight before. Pacing the beach, guts clamped with fists of fear and anticipation. Some of the Indians back where they make the liquor still send messages by tying knots in palm fibers. One could have spread my entrails then, or torques tonight to read our respective horror specs. Joao's mother knew the knot language, but he and his sisters never bothered to learn because they wanted to be modern, and as children, still confused with modernity, the new ignorances lacking modern knowledge. When I was a boy, Torque said, we would dare each other to walk the boards along the edge of the ferry slip. The sun would be hot and the boards would rock in the water, and if the boats were in and you fell down between the boats and the piling, you could get killed. He shook his head. The crazy things kids will do. That was back when I was eight or nine, before I became a water baby. Where was it? Tor looked up. Oh, Manila. I'm Filipino. The sea licked our knees and the gunwale sagged under us. What happened in the slash? There's a volcanic flaw near the slash's base. I, I know. And the sea is hypersensitive down there. You don't insult her fashion or her figure. We had an avalanche. The cable broke. The sparks were so hot and bright they made gouts of foam 50 feet high on the surface. So they tell me. But what caused the avalanche? I shrugged. It could have been just a goddamn coincidence. There are rock falls down there all the time. It could have been the noise from the machines, though we masked that pretty well. It, it could have been something to do with the inductance from the smaller power cables. Or maybe somebody just kicked out the wrong stone that was holding everything up. One webbed hand became a fist, sank into the other, and hung, calling, Cow! I looked up. Joao's pants rolled to his knees, shirt sailing and the sea wind stood in the weave of white water. Torque looked up too. The wind lifted his hair from his neck and the fire roared on the beach. They're getting ready to catch a big fish, Joao called. Men were already pushing their boats out. Torque clapped my shoulder. Come, Cal, we fish now. We waded back to the shore. Joao caught me as I reached dry sand. You ride in my boat. Someone came by with the acrid flares that hissed. The water slapped around the bottom of the boats as we wobbled into the swell. Joao vaulted in and took up the oars. Around us, green amphimen walked into the sea, struck forward, and were gone. Joao pulled, leaned, pulled. The moonlight slid down his arms. The fire diminished on the beach. Then... 
Among the boats, there was a splash, an explosion, and the red flare bloomed in the sky. The amphimen had sighted a big fish. The flare hovered, pulsed once, twice, three times, four times, 20, 40, 60, 80 stone they estimated its weight to be, then fell. Suddenly, I shrugged out of my shirt, pulled at my belt buckle. I'm going over the side, Joao. He leaned, he pulled, he leaned. Take the rope. Yeah, uh, sure. It was tied to the back of the boat. I made a loop in the other end, slipped it around my shoulder. I swung my bad leg over the side, flung myself on black water. Mother of Pearl shattered over me. That was the moon, blocked by the shadow of Zhuao's boat ten feet overhead. I turned below the rippling wounds Zhuao's oars made stroking the sea. One hand and one foot with torn webs, I rolled over and looked down. The rope snaked to its end, and I felt Joao's strokes pulling me through the water. They fanned below with underwater flares. Light undulated on their backs and heels. They circled. They closed like those deep sea fish who carry their own illumination. I saw the prey glistening as it neared a submarine flare. You chase a fish with one spear among you, and that spear would be Torx tonight. The rest have ropes to bind him that go up to the fishermen's boats. There was a sudden confusion of lights below. The spear had been shot. The fish, long as a tall and short man together, rose through the ropes. He turned out to sea, trailing his pursuers, but others waited there, tried to loop him. Once I had flung those ropes treated with tar and lime to dissolve the slime of the fish's body and to hold on to the beast, the looped ropes caught, and by the movement of the flares, I saw them jerked down their paths. The fish turned, rose again, this time toward me. He pulled around when one line ran out, and somewhere on the surface, the prow of a boat bobbed low, but turned back and came on. Of a sudden, amphimen were flicking about me as the fray's center drifted by. Torque, his spear dug deep forward and left of the marlin's dorsal, had hauled himself astride the beast. The fish tried to shake him, then dropped his tail and rose straight. Everybody started pulling toward the surface. I broke foam and grabbed Joao's gunwale. Torque and the fish exploded up among the boats. They twisted in air, in moonlight, in froth. The fish danced across the water on its tail, fell. Joao stood up in the boat and shouted. The other fishermen shouted too, and somebody perched on the prow of a boat flung a rope. Someone in the water caught it. Then fish and torque and me and a dozen amphimen all went underwater at once. They dropped in a corona of bubbles, the fish struck the end of another line and shook himself. Torque was thrown free, but he doubled back. Then the lines began to haul the beast up again, quivering, quipping, quivering again. Six lines from six boats had him. For one moment, he was still in the submarine moonlight. I could see his wound tossing scarves of blood. When he and we broke surface, he was thrashing again near Joao's boat. I was holding onto the side when suddenly Torque, glistening, came out of the water beside me and went over into the dinghy. Here you go, he said, turning to kneel at the bobbing rim and pulled me up 
while Joao leaned against the far side to keep balance. Wet rope slopped on the prow. Hey, cow! And my abdomen did a mini hiccup, which meant I'd gone from water to air. In the other direction, the transition is unnoticeable. From fluttering gills, I felt water run my back and shoulders, the only time you really feel them. And Torque laughed, grabbed the rope, and began to haul. The fish prized wave from white wave in the white water. The boats came together. The amphimen had all climbed up. Ariel was across from us, holding a flare that drooled smoke down her arm. She peered by the hip of the fisherman who was standing in front of her. Joao and Torque were hauling the rope. Behind them, I was coiling it with one hand as it came back to me. The fish came up and was flopped into Ariel's boat. Tail out, head up, chewing air. More hicks. I had just finished pulling on my trousers when Torque fell down on the seat behind me and grabbed me around the shoulders with his wet arms. Look at our fish, Teocal, look! He gasped air laughing, his dark face diamond beside the flares. Look at our fish there, Cal. Joao, grinning white and gold, pulled us back into shore. The fire, the singing, the beating hands, and my godson had put pebbles in the empty rum bottles and was shaking them to the music. The guitars spiraled around us as we carried the fish up the sand, and the men brought the spit. Watch it, Torque said, grabbing the pointed end of the great stick that was thicker than his wrist. We turned the fish over. Here, cow? He prodded two fingers into the white flesh six inches back from the bony lip. Fine. Torque jammed the spit in. We worked it through the body. By the time we carried it to the fire, they had brought more rum. Hey, Torque, are you going to get some sleep before you go down in the morning? I asked. He shook his head. Slept all afternoon. He pointed toward the roasting fish with his elbow. That's my breakfast. But when the dancing grew violent a few hours later, just before the fish was to come off the fire, and the kids were pushing the last of the sweet potatoes from the ashes with sticks, I walked back to the lifeboat's shell we had sat on earlier. It was three-quarters flooded. Curled below still water, Torque slept, fist loose before his mouth, the gills at the back of his neck pulsing rhythmically. Only his shoulder and hip made islands in the floated boat.
Let's get back to our story. Where's Torque? Ariel asked me at the fire. They were swinging up the sizzling fish, taking a nap. Oh, he wanted to cut the fish. He's got a lot of work ahead. Sure you want to wake him? No, I'll let him sleep. But Torque was coming up from the water, brushing his dripping hair back from his forehead. He grinned at us, then went to carve. That night, with music and stomping on the sand and shouting back and forth over the fire, we made more noise than the sea. The 8.30 bus was more or less on time. I don't think they want to go, Joao's sister said. She was accompanying the children to the Aquatic Corps headquarters in Brasilia. They are just tired, Joao said. They should not have stayed up so late last night. Get on the bus now. Say goodbye to Tio Cal. Goodbye, Fernando. Goodbye, Clara. But kids are never their most creative in that sort of situation, and I suspect that my godchildren may just have been suffering their first or one of their first hangovers. I bent down and gave them a clumsy hug. Joao's sister got teary, cuddled the children, cuddled me. Joao then got on the bus. Someone was shouting out the bus window for someone at the bus stop not to forget something. They trundled around the square and then toward the highway. We walked back across the street where the cafe owners were putting out canvas chairs. I will miss them, he said, like a long-considered admission. Yeah, you and me both. At the docks near the hydrofoil wharf where the submarine launches went out to the undersea cities, we saw a crowd. I wonder if they had any trouble laying... A woman screamed in the crowd. She pushed from the others, dropping eggs and onions. She began to pull her hair and shriek. Remember the skillet of shrimp? She had been the woman ladling them out. A few people moved to help her. Clutch of men broke off and ran into a side street. I grabbed a running amphiman who whirled to face me. What in the hell is going on? For a moment, his mouth worked on his words for all the trite world like a beached fish. From the explosion, he began. They just brought them back from the explosion at the slash. I grabbed his other shoulder. What happened? About two hours ago, they were just a quarter of the way through when the whole fault gave way. They had a goddamn underwater volcano for half an hour. They're still getting seismic disturbances. Joao was running toward the launch. I pushed the guy away and limped after him, struck the crowd and jostled through calico, canvas, and green scales. They were carrying the corpses out of the hatch of the submarine and laying them on a canvas spread across the dock. They still returned bodies to the countries of birth for the family to decide the method of burial. When the fault had given, the hot slag that had belched into the steaming sea was mostly molten silicon. Four of the bodies were only slightly burned here and there from their bloated faces. One still bled from the ear. I guess they had died from sonic concussion, but several of the corpses 
were almost totally encased in dull black glass. Torque? I kept asking. Is, is one of them... It took me 45 minutes asking first the guys who were carrying, then going into the launch and asking some guy with a clipboard and then going back on the dock and into the office to find out that one of the more unrecognizable figures was, yes, Torque. Joao bought me a glass of buttermilk at the cafe on the square. He sat still a long time, then finally rubbed away his white mustache, released the chair rung with his toes, put his hands on his knees. What are you thinking about? That it's time to go fix nets? Tomorrow morning I will fish. He regarded me a moment. Where should I fish tomorrow, cow? Are you wondering about sending the kids off today? He shrugged. Fishermen from this village have drowned. Still, it is a village of fishermen. Where should I fish? I finished my buttermilk. The mineral content over the slash should be high as the devil. Lots of algae will gather tonight. Lots of small fish down deep. Big fish hovering over. He nodded. Good. I will take the boat out there tomorrow. We got up. See you, Joao. I limped back to the beach. The fog had unsheathed the sand by ten. I walked around poking clumps of weeds with a stick, banging the same stick on my numb leg. When I lurched up to the top of the rocks, I stopped still in the grass. Ariel? She was kneeling in the water, head down, red hair breaking over sealed gills. Her shoulders shook, stopped, shook again. Ariel? I came down over the blistered stones. She turned away to look at the ocean. The attachments of children are so important and so brittle. How long have you been sitting there? She looked at me now, the varied waters of her face stilled on drawn cheeks, and her face was exhausted. She shook her head. Sixteen, seventeen... Who was the psychologist back in the 70s who decided that adolescents were just physical and mental adults with no useful work? <sighs> you want to come up to the house? The head shaking got faster, then stopped. After a while, I said, I guess they'll be sending Torque's body back to Manila. He didn't have a family, she explained. He'll be buried here at sea. Oh, I said. And the rough volcanic glass pulled across the ocean's sand, changing shape, dulling. You were... You liked Torque a lot, didn't you? You kids looked like you were pretty fond of each other. Yeah, he's was awfully nice. Then she caught my meaning and blinked. Oh, no, she said. Oh, no, I, I was... I, I was engaged to Johnny, the brown-haired boy from California. Did you meet him at the party last night? We're both from Los Angeles, but we only met down here, and, and now they're sending his body back this evening. Her eyes got very wide and closed. I'm sorry. I'm a clumsy cripple, 
I trip all over everybody's emotions. In that mirror, I guess I'm too busy looking at what might have been. I'm sorry, Ariel. She opened her eyes and began to look around her. Come on up to the house and <clears throat> have an avocado. I mean, they have avocados in now, not at the supermarket, but at the old town market on the other side. And they're better than any they grow in California. She kept looking around. None of the amphimen get over there. It's a shame because soon the market will probably close and some of their fresh foods are really great. Oil and vinegar is all you need on them. I leaned back on the rocks. Or a cup of tea? Okay. She remembered to smile. I know the poor kid didn't feel like it. Thank you. I won't be able to stay long, though. We walked back up the rocks toward the house, the sea, on our left. Just as we reached the patio, she turned and looked back. Cal? Yeah? What is it? Those clouds over there, across the water, those are the only ones in the sky. Are they from the eruption in the slash? I squinted. I think so. Come on inside. Ladies and gentlemen, give it up for Miss Kendra Butler. <laughs> and now, the conversation with Mr. Samuel R. Delaney. Some people call him Chip, not me. I have never enjoyed that story quite that much before. No, seriously, thank you. That was quite a job. I was very impressed. Um, I am overcome. <laughs> I was a little overcome. <laughs> thank you. Thank you, sir. Um, you, you, you have a nickname. Yes. Chip. Chip. Mm -hmm. Where does it come from? Oh, well, um, it, there's, a, there's a story behind it, of course. Uh, when I, uh, my father was a Samuel. My grandfather was a Samuel. Mm. I was little Sam, and often little Sambo, which I did not like as a black writer. No, 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 as no, a black, no. Black anything. Yeah. Uh, and uh, so uh, when I, so I hated the name. I didn't get along well with my, my, my father. And I went to a new summer camp the first time, and they, the, 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 the counselor was walking down the, the, the uh, <clears throat> walking down the, the, but we were standing at the foot of our iron bed, frame bedsteads, you know, and what is your name, young man? You know, Belford Lawson III, you know, uh, and what do people call you? Stinky. Uh, and, <laughs> and they got to me. And what is your name? Samuel Ray Delaney Jr., which is the full-out monitor. And they said, and what do people call you? And I suddenly thought, now's my chance. <laughs> Nobody knows me. I can tell these people anything. And I said, everybody calls me Chip. You know, I, and it stuck for the rest of my life. <laughs> and that's how, I, that's how I became Chip, and everybody did. Uh, and so that's that's how I became Chip, and and uh, 
And my family, my sister was at the summer camp, and she kind of picked it up and brought it home. Uh-huh. And other than, and she, so I, even to my, some of my family even made the transition. Uh, and, uh, and so when, I, when they're mad at me, I'm Sam. Uh-huh. And when they're friendly with me, I'm, I'm Chip. I am to everybody else. Right. Uh-huh. Well, you know, I, 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 I cannot find it within myself to call you Chip. That just means you haven't met me yet. <laughs> <laughs> I, I mean, I'm, I'm much more comfortable. If you yell out Sam or something in the street, I'm liable not to turn around. Really? Just assume that you're, you're, you're mistaking me for someone else. Does, does Mr. Delaney still work? Yeah, Mr. Okay. Delaney or Professor that, Delaney that, or any of my other official titles. That is where I am most comfortable, okay. sir. All right. Okay. Well, then. Yeah, right. okay. Uh, you have been in this game for a long time. Yeah. Mm-hmm. You yeah. are one of, of those names when they talk about the masters of the genre. Asimov. Um, ben Bova. Mm-hmm. Right? Um, Harlan Ellison. Yeah. Sturgeon. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Delaney is, is in that pantheon, sir. Well, the, the, what is it? The shoulders of giants, you know, <laughs> that we stand on. You, you, you have communicated in such elegant terms to us over all of, of, of these decades a fierce and fantastic voice of hope and optimism and defiance. Mm. Well, thank you. I try. (laughs) (laughs) No, thank you very much. What what is it that you want audiences to take away from from your work? Or or let's let's say from tonight's story. Well, if I could tell you what I... To what I wanted them to take away, I would never have written the story. True I, that. Yeah. I, 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 I hear you. Although, I mean, there are some things, for instance, the, on, the only thing, it's not a criticism at all, um, I think of, the, I think of the, the, the main characters as Cal, as Cal, uh, at Cal and Ariel rather than Ariel. Mm. And, and I thought of the story as, as a kind of um, a play on the Tempest. On the Tempest. You know, Caliban Caliban, and Ariel. Right. And then the two two children are Clara and and Ferdinand, who are like Clarabelle and Ferdinand, who is Ferdinand's sister, who has just been off marrying the Prince of Tunis in the play The Tempest. Right. Uh, And I sort of, I I saw the whole thing as a kind of, um, what would have happened if um, the, that island that the Tempest is set on had gone back to Sycorax and Caliban. Mm-hmm. Uh, and what would it have been? You know, Sycorax was Caliban's mother, mm. uh, the, the witch. You know, and, 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 and if, uh, if Caliban had, had ended up moving into uh, Prospero's cell, uh, you know Prospero's cabin mm-hmm. uh, and what have you, and 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 the you know and the and the and the sea and the sea people have taken over, and so on the one hand, it is a science fiction story about something that happens in the in in a, in a future that I actually saw when I wrote the story in 1966 as happening. Oh, you know, much much maybe had or would have already happened by now. But of course, it hasn't. Nobody has tried it. So you know, so, so you you can't win them all. But you uh, you you wrote this story in 1966, yes. and it is as fresh today as it was when the day you finished it. Well, is it not? Well, thank you. 
Well, when, I, when, when you get somebody who can, who can read the story as well as you, <laughs> you have one leg up to start. <laughs> you, you are a wordsmith, mm. yeah. Professor. Um, do you have any favorite words? Like, I, I, I love, well, I guess my favorite word in, in, in language is residual. Um, is what is what <laughs> residuals Re- residuals as, as as an actor those those okay. checks that that yeah. come in the mail those residuals I love them yeah I absolutely love them it's a nice word it's a beautiful word and yeah. an even more beautiful idea yeah. you you do the job and months later sometimes years they send you money I love it isn't it great. There, there are these. I mean, I remember when I, when I was a kid, the, the, the somehow somebody got it in the word that the, the, the most beautiful word in the English language was cellar door. Cellar door. Yeah, no, not just for sound. Cellar door. Yes, cellar door. Cellar door. Yeah, cellar and door. I, I remember as a kid falling well before um, the movies or the comic strips would, uh, or, but I remember coming across the word Wolverine mm. and thinking, a wolver. I never had no idea what a Wolverine was, uh, but I thought, what a wonderful word. And I used to sort of, uh, I had a, a sort of, um, I used to think about about Wolverines, you know, and eventually. Eventually, somebody else obviously thought about it too. <laughs> but I was just there a little, a little head. And I also liked the word octopus. Mm. I thought octopus. So I had an imaginary friend to call octopus. And this is the way I did. Li- I do like words. Mm-hmm. I do. You know. I do. And I, I think some words are, are, are very nice. Absolutely. Yeah, and, uh, and absolutely. Uh, and so falling in love with words, and then 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 eventually realizing you can put them together in sentences, as the, that part you you so kindly and generously quoted at the beginning. Yeah. Uh, that's just how the the whole thing works. Yeah. Yeah. And I thought the word gl- drift glass itself was a lovely I love word. that word drift yeah. glass. I had never seen a piece of drift glass when I wrote the story. Um, although after the story had been sitting around for almost Hold the fuck up. You wrote the story drift glass without ever having seen a piece of drift glass yes but your description of it is so beautiful well i figured it had to be that way (laughs) (laughs) and and another 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 one of those bizarre stories i i had a i had for while i had a um um i had a roommate Uh um who was you know not perfectly platonic relationship and what have you uh, and who is a, a young writer and he one he came back from the beach and he said um, I found a piece of drift glass and he showed me this little triangular piece mm-hmm. of he said is this what you were talking about and I said yeah and he said oh uh, what when did you first see one and I said I never did I said you just went and found one I have a friend named Michael um, uh, another science fiction writer uh, named Michael Swanwick yes. maybe some of you know yes no. indeed uh, Yes. Yeah, and Michael is a. a uh, Michael has in his bathroom, he's got a jar that is full of drift glass mm-hmm. that he found on various beaches. Why? Because he read this, my story and thought it's got to be there. I just, I just, I, it was a, it was put together though as a purely a sort of intellectual exercise. There must be pieces mm. of glass, right. and this is what would happen to them. And well, so you know. 
So, I, I will never look at drift glass the same. <laughs> no, I, I, I can't. It's impossible to. Yeah. You, 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 have, you have changed the nature of drift glass for me, sir. My most sincere and undying thanks to Mr. Samuel R. Delaney for being my guest and allowing me to read his story. Our producer on this episode of LeVar Burton Reads is the very talented Julia Smith. She is the best in the business. We also had help from Audrey No. This episode was edited by the alliterative Brendan Burns. Our music today was by Kendra Butler. She's got a new album coming out later this year entitled Faith Walk, and you can find her online at KendraBW.com. That's Kendra with an H, K-E-N-D-R-A. H. And my great thanks to Mr. Samuel R. Delaney for being my guest and allowing me to read his story. You can find the uncut version in his collection entitled I and Gamora and Other Stories. That's from Vintage Books, copyright 2003. Go to his website, samueldelaney.com, to find that book and more of his writings. And if you love the show and want to help other people find it, give us a rating or a review on Apple Podcasts. And while you're leaving the review, suggest a story for the show. LeVar Burton Reads is a production of Stitcher. Our executive producers are Chris C.B. Bannon and Ginny Radelette-Mast of the Flying Radelette Sisters and me, LeVar Burton. You can find me on Twitter, at LeVar Burton, and LeVar.Burton on Instagram. I'll see you next time. But you don't have to take my word for it. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. I was hours into a hunt for new gigs at the local shopping mall and losing steam fast when fate intervened. Drumsticks, get your drumsticks. Nutty, sweet drumstick. What luck. One drumstick, please. Here you go. This is hot and made of chicken. I want an ice-cold, creamy, crunchy drumstick Sunday cone. You and me both, buddy. But that's the vendor next door. Drumsticks. But that line is three miles long. Oh, well. Another day, another drumstick.